you didn't see this coming, I started my own podcast. That's right. This is the Tasteless Podcast. Uh, I wanted to do this about four months ago at the start of 2019, but it turns out it was way more complicated to get the right equipment here, uh, the right people to help me produce this. But here we are now. I've got a few episodes already recorded. The idea behind this show is to have a one-on-one face-to-face conversation uh, with somebody, anybody, probably in this case, at least for starts, it's going to be somebody in gaming. I think there's more value in having a face-to-face conversation than doing this over Discord or over Skype, Uh, but that also means the guests are going to be limited to whoever is nearby me. Um, If you want to support this podcast, you can do so via our Patreon. There's a link in the description below. You can also subscribe, give a review, uh, and tell your friends about it. Uh, Our first guest for the show is going to be Clinton Bader, also known as Paper Thin. He is a PUBG and Battle Royale caster based here in Seoul. He also lives across the street from me, so he was an easy pick. He'll be in London for the Face It PUBG Global Summit from April 16th to the 21st. We covered a lot of interesting topics like living in Korea, esports, Battle Royales in general, uh, and StarCraft, of course, as well. Uh, Anyways, that does it. This is episode one of the Tasteless Podcast. I hope you enjoy the conversation. You can hear me okay, Clinton? I can hear you. All right, man. We're good. Thanks for doing this with me, dude. Of course. My yeah. pleasure. So I guess to get stuff started, uh, we're both casters in Korea, esports casters. Yeah. Um, what is your background in gaming? My background in gaming, um, I would say like my real first foray into esports was probably playing Halo, specifically Halo 3, back uh, after I graduated uh, college. And um, I did that for probably about two years or so where I really grinded it, where I was really playing like six, like literally six hours a day after work every day. And then on the weekends, like eight to ten hours some days, depending on what was going on. And then I competed in a couple MLGs. Um, I would do online tournaments as well with MLG and whatever else was going on. And uh, so that was really where I got my like taste for what esports is like that, that competition, that feeling of wanting to be so good at something. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting when you start to get addicted to some game and you start to try to master it. Now, you do you do PUBG um, casting now yeah. and Clash Royale as well. But yeah. uh, what is it like for someone who's doing Halo to transition um, onto a PC first-person shooter? Because obviously, you know, playing Halo with a controller, which is how it originally started, right. that's a totally different beast yeah. than going onto, like, you know, with a keyboard and mouse. Well, I would actually say I, I actually had the the reverse shock because in university I played an absolute shit ton of Counter Strike Source, just just a ton, like almost every day. Like I was playing Counter Strike Source probably for at least a couple hours, and so actually it was going to the controller where I was a little thrown off more so than going back. But then I had to go back to PC to play games like PUBG and other things, other first person shooters. I mean, obviously there's a huge time difference between right, there, right. but it's it's hard to explain because you could be so much more pinpoint accurate on PC games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's like this there's this thing where you have to just be going for certain types of shots, right? You're headshotting more than anything, especially with like sniper rifles and various other types of weapons. But that's the weird part cuz in Halo like other than the sniper rifle, headshots just didn't matter. You know, or the pistol if you're playing like Halo 1. Right. Yeah, that was like the best gun in, in Halo. It kind it of was the pistol, right? Yeah, yeah. The Generally Halo, speaking, it was, yeah, yeah, it it was, was disgusting. I mean, it, yeah. there was no map <laughs> other than like the really big maps where it wasn't just a god godlike gun. I don't, I don't know if you know about this story. I don't know how true this is, but 
like a long time ago when they finally ported Halo onto PC. Yeah. Um, I think it was CPL. Um, I might be wrong. Yeah, it was Halo C- 1. Yeah. Halo 1, yeah. And so they ported it onto PC, and then they had uh, a tournament. Uh, you know, normally they have Quake and Counter-Strike and stuff like that at this tournament. But then they had they had a Halo tournament, and I guess half the players showed up with controllers. Right. And then the other half showed up oh, no. with keyboard and mouse. Oh, no. And so <laughs> it was this whole moment where like, you got to imagine if you're a pro player, you've been playing at home, you're grinding, and, of course, you're, you're very good with your controller, but then you get to the tournament, and you look and go, oh, well, that's weird. He's got the yeah. keyboard and a mouse. He's oh well, and then <laughs> and then they just get destroyed, they get murdered, yeah, just absolutely destroyed. You know, yeah, it's weird like that. I mean, because well, okay, I shouldn't say Halo was the headshots weren't completely important, but yeah. you could like two body shot right with like the pistol or the battle rifle or something, or three body shot with the battle rifle, and then you had to go for the head. But you could just be kind of kind of accurate, right? And there was also you know aim assist in these games on the console, right? Because there has to be like it, it can't just be pinpoint. Right, because because of the nature of the controller, like the way it moves and the way you look, and the, there was some auto aim in that. Really? Yeah, 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 oh yeah. God. Yeah, definitely. So then, transitioning to to PC is it's 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 just a different way of thinking about the games. Because yeah, like you said, when Halo went to computer, I remember playing it. and I'm like, oh, I'm just like a god with the pistol if I can, you know, just be pinpoint accurate with right, it. Right. Yeah. I was like, wow, this is so much different. So we're both guys from the Midwest. I'm yeah. from Kansas. You're from Wisconsin. Right. Do you feel like you ended up getting into gaming uh, because there was not, don't take this the wrong way, but there was not as much to do Yeah. where you were from? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I mean, I feel like you either like played sports or did theater. You had something that you just kind of like focused on. I mean, obviously that's the same for everybody, but obviously it wasn't as you know, interesting or uh, there wasn't quite as much of a foundation for it because I'm from a very small town, like 10,000 people, right? Wow. So, I mean, tiny. And and there just wasn't a lot to do. You're right. And so my friends and I all just kind of grew up playing a ton of video games together, you know, playing Nintendo 64, you know, playing Smash, GoldenEye, all these other things that just about, you know, I think a lot of people that will be, you know, into video games did that growing up. But I think particularly like, I got really into the competitive side of it because my friends and I would just land Halo or something like that at somebody's house. Like we'd bring four Xboxes and get it all set up and do that thing. It's, it's so weird because when I look back at landing and, and packing up my computer yeah. and my computer chair in some cases and then putting it in a car and driving somewhere and plugging everything in, I can't believe how motivated I was. <laughs> compared to now where we're in Korea where there's PC cafes everywhere and yeah. online play is so easily. Because back then you actually had to be playing on LAN. Oh, you remember lo- lugging around those fucking CRT monitors? Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe my brother and I ever did that. It's so crazy. I, just going back to the whole uh, thing about being from the Midwest, you know, when I went to Colorado for college, I was amazed at the drop-off in skill. Oh. It, for, for a lot of the gamers there. It was really interesting because in Kansas City, there were so many good players. Yeah. Um, at all sorts of games. Right. And then when I got to, to Denver, it was like I, it was like I was so much better at every other game that it was crazy. I've always wondered, you know, is this somewhat related to the environments that we're in? Like yeah. if you look at a, another really strong nation in gaming would be Sweden. Right. Um, 
Sweden's a great country, but there's actually not as much to do, especially like in the winter time. Right. Not as much outdoor stuff. Finland too. Finland as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and even when we look at South Korea, there's a lot. I mean, the weather here can be pretty brutal. The oh, summers God. are really hot. Yeah. The winters are unbearably cold. Um, we get a few good months out of the year to go outside, but really, this is more of an indoor. Yes. Uh, a place. Yeah. There really isn't a lot of outdoor activities in South Korea. It's it's like, I mean, this place is just a big mega city for right. anywhere they can fit it in because it's actually a pretty mountainous country, right? So there's just city everywhere that they could just fit people in. And, yeah, you know, the apartments are generally pretty small here. And that's why, yeah, they have, like, PC, PC bongs and other things. That's what they're called in Korean, PC bong. And, and yeah, the P PC room, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right. They're PC cafes for exactly. all intents and purposes. And so there's like this culture that started here. I think partially because they're just so packed in is definitely part of it. Yeah, or even the, the government subsidized the internet early on here. Right. Um, but you know, when you look at some other regions, there's nowhere near as many good players. I think especially if the weather's quite nice or there's more stuff to do out outdoors. Yeah. I don't think this is always true, but it's just a trend I've kind of picked up on. Kind of like if you look at um, you know, why are some games big in certain areas? Like why are there so many good American smash smash melee players. Well, Americans, when they hang out with each other, they generally meet in other people's houses. Right. So if you're going to go to someone's house, you're going to be playing on a console there. You're going to get connected in that way. Whereas in, let's say, like, uh, let's just use South Korea because this is an easy example. Um, you don't go to someone else's house generally. Right. Uh, at least in Seoul. You normally meet somewhere. You'll meet at a restaurant or a PC cafe or a bar and hang out there. And so you would never end up in an environment to become a good melee player. Yeah. Because the odds of you meeting at your house and gaming there versus going to a PC cafe, for instance, and playing League of Legends or playing StarCraft, you end up getting pushed into a different direction. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think another part of that is everything that you said is 100% true. And then also the consoles never really became popular here, right? Because – they kind of had this feud with Japan, yeah, and most was, uh, of the consoles were coming out of Japan. Yeah, that, you know, you're you're absolutely right. It was um, I can't remember what year it was, but there was a ban on Japanese cultural products. Yeah, in Korea, and so you could not get a Nintendo, at least not easily. I mean, right? You could certainly just fly over to Japan and get one, but you could not easily get, for instance, a Nintendo. And so, the result of that, this is actually why, by the way, for everybody who's listening, uh, Korea is more of a PC gaming yes. culture whereas japan is a console. console gaming culture yeah um so parents weren't buying their kids nintendos because that wasn't a thing that you could get your kid for christmas out here but you could get them a pc yeah and then at the same time um that these net cafes were starting to pop up everywhere the game that was big was starcraft so that's actually how uh it became that big but it, it, it's really interesting to see what kind of environments uh, create which games are going to be popular. Right. And I think for you and I growing up, like for our environment, right, like we had computers and consoles, right? You had both, I believe, right? I had. Yeah, yeah. I, my mom was a computer programmer, so we had computers from a very early age, from when I was very young, um, because she needed it for work, right? Yeah. She needed to have it. So I actually had computers, and I mean, I was playing like Wolfenstein 3D and Doom and all these other games when they were first coming out, you know, 1993, 1994, around that era. And so I had a background in computers, and then I was really into consoles as well. I got my first Nintendo when I was, like, five or something like that. So I always had both. So I kind of, like, the transition between them was never super difficult for me. Yeah, that's that's one of the um, 
That's one of the interesting things about, I think, a lot of Americans, they grew up alongside both. You don't normally have a situation where uh, it's just one or the other, at least in my experience. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, like in some places, for instance, like China, a lot of people don't have desktop, but everybody's got a cell phone. Right. I mean, this is why the, you know, Blizzard's trying to make a Diablo game on a cell phone. Yeah. Is because there's just so many people that are not sitting up there uh, on a rig. Yeah. Why, why do you think they put, you know, PUBG on a cell phone, right? Because, because people in India, people in Thailand, people in Indonesia, in the Southeast Asian countries where there's a ton of people, right? Half the world's population. If you put a big circle starting in the middle of China, kind of cover Korea, Japan, go over to like Thailand and then get down around, you know, the Philippines and Indonesia and everything, half the world's population in that circle. Yeah. Right. So, and most of these people don't have PCs or consoles. Most of these people have smartphones. So why do we want PUBG on a smartphone? Because millions and millions and millions of people in India are going to play it. Millions of people across Southeast Asia are playing these games on their smartphones. Okay, so I got a question for you, Ben. Sure. Because, um, you know, there's a stigma in Western culture about cell phone games in general. And I, I think some of it's founded. Yeah. Because there are, like, degenerate <laughs> cell phone <laughs> microtransaction <laughs> games. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Yes. There are some games where uh, you can pay to win. Yes. Um, and it, it's a proven money-making model. It, do you think you can legitimately have an eSport on a cell phone? Oh, yeah. You think so? Absolutely. I mean, I've broadcasted, you know, obviously, Clash Royale and PUBG Mobile um, as eSports. And I, I and I think they're both very viable. Clash Royale, a lot of people say, is kind of pay-to-win. And, and I would say if you're just getting into it now, the game's been out for three years. Yeah. So most people have been playing it for a pretty a pretty significant amount of time. Um and uh, like I basically almost have maxed out like decks that I use, and I n barely paid anything into this game. But I've been playing since almost day one, and um and the game itself, when you play at a competitive level, every all the cards are normalized, right? They're all the same level, so it isn't like at at that when you're playing in competitions, like actual tournaments, the, the, everybody's at the same level. It's not like you paid any extra money to get there. It's uh, everything's just set, so everybody's got like level nine cards, right? And there's no do derivation from that oh interesting yeah do, do you feel like um it would be it's more of a challenge though to get people to watch cell phone esports games yeah. compared to other esports why, why do you in western culture yeah okay it, it, i think there's this idea that it doesn't take as much skill as it does with like a pc like a mouse and a keyboard or a controller even i think there's like there's like tiers of what people probably think about as like the skill cap level for the equipment right keyboard and mouse probably top tier right now and then like a controller like a playstation or xbox controller and then a cell phone but i think i think people would be surprised like the controls for pubg mobile are pretty intuitive and very much like a, a controller you would use on a console so it plays pretty similar to that yeah it's uh i think i think you've nailed it when you said that you know there's a, a, a perceived skill level yeah where um, I mean, it's the, I think for most people, where it's the mouse and the keyboard at the top, then a game controller uh, in the middle, or maybe a joystick in the middle. Yeah. I, I think that some would disagree. Like if you look at Smash Melee or if you look at Street Fighter. Oh yeah. Though, to play with the controller or to play with the joystick, that's the superior way to play that game. Yes, yes, that's Th true. Th that's how you're going to have, I think, the best mechanical access. Yeah. To or to, to interface with the game, but um, I'm curious because you know the first time I really got into a cell phone game was when Hearthstone got oh, on a cell yeah. phone. And that's right. when I suddenly realized, oh, this is an excellent vehicle 
to play a CCG. And I know that some people have weird reactions to Hearthstone in tournaments or it, it is a competitive game because of RNG, but honestly, I thought it was a pretty good cell phone game. It's an amazing cell phone. It's an amazing game in general. I've been playing a ton of it again recently. Just kind of got back into it. I mean, I, I like CCGs in general. Grew up playing Magic, you know, with my friends back in middle school and high school. You know, still play Magic Arena sometimes now that that's out. That's a ton of fun. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, they're competitive. Yes, there is some RNG, but, you know, the, the best players and the most skilled players, I mean, will consistently be near the top. You know, the players that really have thought everything through and make the right decisions and predict what their opponent's going to do are still going to be at the top. And the sim it's the same thing with actually, I think, with like Clash Royale as a mobile game, right? It's 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 cards, you make decks, and then you have to place the units on the board, and then it becomes this tower defense things where your units just automatically follow a certain path and then have predetermined uh, ways that they attack things and that kind of thing. Yeah, it seems like cell phones are better suited for more decision-making games yes. and less mechanical uh, games and that's not to say mechanical games don't also require decision making, but yeah, um, no, I think there's something to that. You know, what's kind of crazy is like how big Hearthstone got when Magic was there all along, right? Like everybody, I, well, I think most people are, are at least uh, aware of Magic, right? Yeah, but what Blizzard did that's so crazy is they just took that model, simplified it slightly, yeah, and then put it in an actual accessible interface, yes. And it blew up. Yeah, it's the UI for Hearthstone is great. It's really easy to use. And it's pretty intuitive for the most part. And it has some interesting and unique game mechanics. And overall, it's it, it's a game that I definitely have to think about. And I make mistakes. And it's, you know, it's... It's, but it's it's not as complicated as Magic, right? Magic is a little yeah. more complicated, and Magic has interaction during player turns and that kind of thing. So I don't know. I haven't. I don't know if Magic Arena is out on phones yet, actually, because I'm actually scared to try it because there's actually a lot of intricacy on how you have to do things and what order you have to do things. Yeah. And I'm like definitely afraid that I'm gonna mess it up, and that's a big deal in Magic because there's like order of operations and things like that that really yeah matter. you can interrupt stuff and yes and everything. Right, exactly. And kind of on that topic, and this is something uh, I wanted to talk to you about. So we got – you take Hearthstone, which is modeled <clears> – <throat> excuse me. You take Hearthstone, which is modeled off of a game like Magic, and then put into a different interface to kind of become more accessible. All your cards are online, right? And, you know, Machine Magic has followed suit, and now they put their stuff online as well. Um, but major game publishers imitating each other. Yeah, and trying to outdo each other in some of these formats. So, um, let's take battle royales, right? Sure. This is the most recent trend, but it's not the first time we've had a trend like this where everybody's trying to make the same thing at once. Yeah, and it tends to dilute that genre, um, and then the publishers will basically wait for the next game that seems to be picking up. Is this is this a negative symptom in the gaming industry? when everybody dogpiles on a certain genre. It, 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 if I can, for instance, when StarCraft came out, uh, WarCraft 2 had come out before that, every game was trying to be an RTS game. Yep. Uh, when Nintendo 64 came out with Mario 64, every console game was suddenly trying to be 3D. Right. It was, it was, no, it was not okay to be a platformer. It was, it, everybody was trying to imitate this thing. 
Uh, that's why you have like Crash Bandicoot coming out then, and yeah. uh, Metal Gear Solid. I'm not. I'm not saying that any of these are necessarily bad, but they are patterns. I mean, we can all agree that there was a period where everybody was trying to make yeah those the Mega- right MOBA. Yeah, those Mega Man games, those like 3D Mega Man games that were like I I didn't really like them, but I, a lot of people did. Or, or you know, Legend of Zelda. You know, you had Ocarina yeah, of Time yeah. and things like that. Yeah, I I think for gaming, it's not necessarily bad. Um, I think that's just it's just it's just an inev- inevitability, right? It's just going to happen, but I. But if I want to talk about what I think it does to esports, that's where I start to get concerned because you have such a dilution of the market. I mean, all those mobas that came out after League of Legends, uh, it, it wasn't even League of Legends. I mean, you had Dota being extremely popular before yeah. it, but League of Legends really went crazy. That, by the way, that was something that was really interesting in gaming history that happened. That there was a mod on Warcraft Three, because you know, this is where the original Dota came from, and that mod became bigger than the game. Yeah, the multiplayer version of Warcraft Three, right? And Blizzard didn't um, jump on that fast enough, and so Riot copied that model and then made it free to play, um, and I think simplified it in some regards. I think that's fair to say, right? And then put that out, and then that took over a giant section of the market. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I mean. I'm trying to think. I think, I think to Blizzard's shame, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. It's yeah. like the rug was pulled out from under them, and then somebody's taken this idea and run with it. Right. And Heroes of the Storm, even though I think that was a great game, was never really able to catch up. Right, right. I I, I mean, I love Heroes of the Storm, actually. But, yeah, it just it was too and, little, too late. And I should also want to even Valve. They just went to um, – is Ice Frog? Melty, is Ice Frog the guy that makes Dota 2? I want to make sure I'm saying the right person. I think Ice Frog was the guy who was one of the – either the modder or the main modder. So I, someone I, important no, I don't remember involved in the Dota franchise, and they just went to him and said, "Why don't we just make Dota two? Yeah, we could just name it Dota two. It's Ice Frog. It's Ice Frog. God, I'm was dead. it? What? <laughs> was it? <laughs> it's like Nick. Was there's it? no one named Ice Frog on the internet. I'm like, I don't know why. I don't know why I thought that. <laughs> you just like put two like random nouns yeah. together. You're like, yeah, I think I'm this like, it was work. Lava Man. It was Lava, Lava Man, man right? Like, like, now no, I'm like, now Nick. Man. Now we're now we're talking about Mega yeah, Man bosses. Yeah. Like, no, like, no, but with um. With Valve, I mean, they went to the person who was modding and said, we'll just make Dota 2. Yeah. And you can just have that now. Right. Um, and then, you know, Blizzard showed up with Heroes of the Storm, but it was too late. Right. Well, I think, wasn't Counter-Strike originally a mod? Am I not, I'm not wrong Yeah, that, Counter-Strike right? was a mod on Half-Life. Right, the original Half-Life. And that was, it was the same thing. Yeah. Where suddenly this mod became bigger than the actual multiplayer game itself or the, I, mean, right. I guess the, the mode that the publisher was intending to have uh, get big and that was a big deal because that was one of the first games where in multiplayer when you were shot you were killed yeah like before quickly. that you were just eating bullets like, yeah. from machine guns and <laughs> rocket jumping over ledges and stuff and, and that was kind of the the quake-esque style of playing but i yeah i remember when i think i, the, I started playing counter-strike at 1.3 Oh wow! Yeah, way before I did. Way yeah. before that, yeah. And um, yeah, the rush of when you are killed, you're out of the game for a little bit. Right. It's this really interesting concept where it's no longer because it used to be in a lot of these other FPS games, you would kill, you'd be killed, you would immediately respawn. Right. Right. But the idea of eventually, it might be down to just two guys. Yeah. You know, and everybody's just watching. That's what makes it a great esport. It's yeah. so tense. Yeah. It's so tense, and there's still the possibility of like a one v five. I mean, those are the best. Those are like those are the highlights I live for. 
on like the like the global offensive subreddit and stuff where I'm just like just give me an esports moment where somebody just went absolutely bonkers and yeah. killed like four or five guys by himself. Like that's that's like where I'm just like God, this is so good. So when we were, um, I, I, I want I want to pull us back a little bit here for a sure. second. So we we were talking about, um, I don't know if this is a contagion or or or, or, or a, a natural symptom of game development, but when everybody starts to imitate each other, yeah, like is for instance, let's take battle royale since that's the trendy game right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we've got PUBG, we've got, um. Fortnite. A- Fortnite, thank you, and, and Apex. Apex Legends, Apex Legends. yeah. Um, is it too late for another Battle Royale to come in? Uh, oh, H- oh no, you're yeah, right. H1Z1. Actually, H1Z1 was where I started. But I, H1Z1 is not as popular now, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Still got some, it's still got some stuff going, but it's kind of dead. Um, I think because, because PUBG became so outrageously popular – and then Fortnite became outrageously popular, and now Apex Legends has become outrageously popular. I don't see it stopping until something happens where maybe, like with uh, Heroes of the Storm, where the, someone made a MOBA, and then the MOBAs, and then that MOBA didn't, and it was a big MOBA made by a big publisher, and it didn't do that well. And so then the trend of MOBAs has now stopped. They're like, okay, well, League of Legends and Dota, they've kind of cornered that market, right? Right. This is going to keep, I think. It's going to keep happening with Battle Royales until there's a, a game that comes out from a big publisher that is just a massive failure. And, oh, I, this, and, and this, this is, is a so problem. Interesting. It's, I think it's yeah. actually a problem. Because though. I guess you're right. Heroes of the Storm, when it didn't have sweeping success, kind of, in a way, signaled to all other publishers inadvertently, Yeah, it's time to step away. Right. It, it does not appear that you're going to overcome Dota 2 or overcome League of Legends. Yeah. Um, but in this case, what we're seeing is every, I, th- I would say, properly made battle royale game seems to be doing better, uh, in in at least upon release than the previous one. So yep. PUBG was uh, for a period of time the biggest game in the world. Yeah. Then Fortnite came out. Right. Now it's Apex. Right. Apex Legends. Excuse me. Yeah. And I think you know from from a gaming perspective, I'm kind of okay with it because you know I love PUBG. I love the gun mechanics. It's a lot like Counter Strike, right? Where the the time to kill is very quick, um, so you don't you just basically like two shots and somebody and they're dead if you're good, or like three or four depending on you know your recoil control if you're using an assault rifle or something like that. But uh, you know Fortnite, I never really got into, but I get it. I get why people like it. That building aspect is really unique and interesting, and like the builders are so impressive. And Apex Legends is kind of this unique. Uh, one to me. Well, I shouldn't say this is always the case, right? Because Blackout, the the oh yeah, oh I can't believe I just skipped over that. Of course, I forgot. About Activision it. released Blackout. Yeah, we were both really excited about that before it came out. Yeah, and I think people played it for like I hated it. Like a week, you hated it. I hated it. Okay, why why did you hate it? The gunplay was bad. Um, there just wasn't a lot of like recoil control and other things. The there were some mechanics that were just so brokenly overpowered and they weren't really fixing it, and it just. I don't know how to describe it. It just didn't feel good. Well, that that was also kind of an odd release because it seemed like they tried to get and I, I obviously I haven't been able to play that much because uh, of problems with my hands right now, but from everything I watched on stream, it seemed like they tried to just copy a whole bunch of other FPS games. Yeah. They abandoned a storyline. Um yeah. and basically released this kind of just multiplayer model. And I don't know if that's right or wrong, but it is interesting to see how they moved away from that. It did seem like the maps were a little bit 
smaller. Yeah, the map was a little bit small. Yeah. And it, I don't know. It just it never felt good to me. I never felt like I actually was like getting into it and really felt like I had I don't even know. It's it's so hard for me to describe playing that game because I just wasn't like a huge fan of it from the get-go and I really tried and I actually really enjoyed like the other game modes in Blackout 4 like the normal you know like 5v5 stuff that you just like traditional Call of Duty gameplay I actually right. pretty, I actually enjoyed that quite a bit but then I, the playing Blackout I just I just never had fun doing it whereas in Apex Legends I love that game game is very very good what's interesting about Apex Legends is that it almost seems like it's a fusion please correct me if I'm wrong on mm. this um it almost seems like it's a fusion of, of like, a, a PUBG and Overwatch. Yeah. Like, there's these different classes, and you're running around. And I think, in an interesting way, that was able to appeal to a lot of different people because it wasn't – where you look at um, Black Ops, they were attempting to, at least from what I, uh, what I saw, a cleaned-up version of PUBG. Yeah. A bugless version of PUBG. Right. Um. That's kind of, yeah, maybe what they were going for. Yeah, whereas uh, Apex Legends goes in this completely different direction where it's sort of fused in these different classes and roles and abilities. Yeah. Which is kind of a, a, almost like a MOBA-esque thing. Yeah. Um, into this giant map where you have a kill zone that continues to close in and collapse. Right. Well, it just adds a lot of intricacy to the game because uh, there's different characters who have different hitboxes. Uh, different abilities that affect maybe their movement or various other things, or they heal, or, you know, the newest character creates a jump pad that you can use to jump, like, really far, get up onto places that you maybe normally couldn't. You know, the, one of the most unique and interesting characters makes zip lines. So there's all these, like, really cool characters in different ways that they can interact with each other as a team, right? Because you have three players on each team. And also, I think what makes Apex really interesting is it's, like, it's time to kill and but also the healing mechanics and stuff so it's almost like it's almost like halo where you have a shield right and you're like kind of poking and shooting and you're doing some peak shooting and some other things and and if you get too aggressive like you know you just your shields and your health just go down so quick you just die right because you're just like well i overextended myself and it's a lot like that in this game so it kind of feels like the the movement feels more halo-esque than a lot of other games i've played and and that makes it really interesting because it makes your like decision making much more important like is it worth it for me to try to overextend myself to get on a flank of this enemy team or should i just keep trying to peek shoot and out you know out duel you know an opponent with maybe like the pistol or the sniper rifle or something like that so there's there's a lot of variation to it and, and it's really complex and i think actually when i think about it blackout didn't feel that complex because it's just like well you have guns and you have some items and some abilities you can pick up you don't start with them and if you're lucky, you get like some amazing items that are just really OP and, or, you know, but in this one, it feels really well balanced. Do you feel like, uh, actually, I'm just going to say my opinion on this and I want to hear what you think okay. about this. I feel like this kill zone mechanic in gaming might be one of the best inventions yeah. ever in gaming. Like I'll give you an example of another one that happened a long time ago. Um, someone told me this, that uh, someone asked Mike Morheim, the former CEO of Blizzard, uh, what he was most proud of in game development. And um, what I was told is he said that Fog of War. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. Every other game didn't have Fog of War. Like, if you remember in the old Command and Conquers, 
Yeah. You just after you scouted him, you could just watch him. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's why oh, the spy. God, you're right. That's why the spy was the stupidest. Oh, I forgot. Oh God, I forgot. You make a spy, you like have to walk across a map where there's no fog of war. What the fuck? It's <laughs> <laughs> horrible. But yeah, because like, even Warcraft Two had fog of war. Yeah, right? Warcraft Two had fog of war. Yeah. I think Warcraft One had fog of war. It probably did. I never played Warcraft One actually. Yeah, I I started with War- on Warcraft Two. Yeah, but it it was the idea that you can actually you have to be present somewhere. Right. I mean, this is why I think Starcraft. Um, and this extends into MOBAs uh, are so complex, is because it's incomplete information. All the games before that were kind of following more of like a city builder model, like SimCity, where like, of course you need to see the whole yeah. uh, entire map. Right. Why would you have anything hidden? Right. Um, and so Fog of War sort of made these, how do you say this, like a bird's eye view game, like StarCraft or, or League of Legends, where you're, where you're controlling an avatar or a several avatars from above. I feel like what we have now in battle royales with this kill zone has made for something that is, I think, one of the most impactful things in gaming. Uh, uh, this type of game. Yeah. We never had a game that was quite like this before. Because I started playing when I was in H one Z one. Yeah. Um, and I just kept noticing it was on Twitch, and I, I don't know about you, but I, when I wake up, I usually click around to a couple different streams. Sure. And I kept noticing H one Z one, which, by, and again, this is one of those things where it's another mod situation. Yeah. You know, H1Z1 was supposed to be kind of like DayZ. You know, yes. you're in this zombie uh, apocalypse. You're trying to survive, but they had this mode added in. And suddenly, when the mode was added in, was, is H1Z1 the first one to do that, Melty? Yes. It's the first one, right? Okay, unless there was something else. Um, yeah, the fact that you could just dive into a giant world and you didn't know where that circle was going to be. Right. And you would have to whether you had to swim or run or drive, you had to get to a different area. That was such a different experience from anything I've ever had in gaming. Yeah, and it, it and it makes you think in a very interesting and different way. And this is this is why I fell in love with um, you know, battle royale games and why, you know, I ended up becoming a PUBG broadcaster was I found the the strategic and tactical ideas of the game to be so fascinating, right? You start out at the strategic level, like where are we going to drop? You know, uh, what is our overall like objective for the game? Like, are we going to play passively? Are we going to play aggressively? You know, are we going to try to take take other teams out because we're good and we want to get their loot and win that way? And then from a tactical perspective, right? You come across different situations every game. It's never quite really exactly the same. So you got to be like, all right, how am I going to approach this terrain that I'm being forced into by this circle? Am I going to uh, try to aggressively take it with vehicles and get across it really fast, uh, which is risky? Or am I going to try to take it slow and use cover and do all these other things? That's what, to me, is actually so fascinating about Battle Royales. Yeah, the shooting aspect is fun and cool, just like a Counter-Strike or something like that. But what actually makes Battle Royales so interesting is the, the strategy and the tactics. Like, how are these teams approaching it? How are they thinking about it? How are they communicating these ideas? And getting it done. And I think that's what makes them really amazing. Yeah, I remember the first time I played, I guess it was H1Z1. Um, and you, you get your items, and you haven't seen anybody. You're just looting. You're running around. And as you're watching that ticker go down, as there's less and less players in the game, I started to get this adrenaline rush in a way that I hadn't quite had in another game. Most of the time, if I play any game uh, competitively or online, I don't really feel that much. Yeah, I'm pretty comfortable just focusing and kind of flatlining in yeah. some regard. Uh, 
I've just started getting this nervous, excited energy. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm one of the last ones left. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of like this fun but sort of scary feeling. I'm sure other people that are listening to this know what I'm talking about. I mean, if you play enough, you eventually get past all that. Right. But I thought, this is such a cool mechanic. And it's allowed games where they have these huge, giant environments because we're finally at the point technologically where we can actually make an entire city that you don't have to go through different loading areas to get there. And then with the kill zone closing in, force everybody to get together where without a mechanic like that, it would basically be impossible. Right. Right. Teams would just never want to move. They'd be like, well, I found this compound. Good luck trying to break it. Yeah, because camping. <laughs> this is yeah. This is a funny thing about um, first-person shooters in general. Um, and Counter-Strike was, I think, the first game that actually solved the problem of camping. Yeah. Maybe Quake. I, I, there's probably some older Quake guys yelling at the podcast <laughs> right now. Uh, I, but I, for me, at least in my memory, um, yeah, it was, it was the bomb. And the terrace versus counter terrace. Yeah. That you have two different locations you have to plant. Uh, you, you can plant at. And so a team of five has to choose one of those two locations to rush. The yep. other team of five has to figure out how to defend both those locations. Right. So the team that has to camp should generally have less people. Um, and the team that has to be aggressive can come in with a higher number. And therefore, you know, it kind of evens it out. Um, and you had the utility of the grenades, right? Smoke grenades, right. flash grenades, you know, frag grenades, all these other things. And that's that's how you like, you know, break through this this men, this camping idea, right? In those games, and a lot of times, right? You smoke something, you throw a flashbang in, you throw a grenade where people might camp, you know, that kind of thing. You bounce it off a wall or something like that. Yeah. So that also, as well, on top of what you're saying, helped, you know, break that camping idea because, yeah, I mean, camping, yeah, you can do it in some games and. Sometimes it's successful depending on the weapon you have. Like in Halo, if you had a rocket launcher, you could just camp in a hall and wait. And it's because it's basically a one-shot kill. You know, you can just wait for somebody to come around and kill them. And but but you know, if you have grenades or other things, you can flush an area out. And be like, well, get out of here. I don't want you camping in that corner. And and, and with the um, the kill zone now, yeah, it's kind of fixed that whole problem. Uh, yeah, as well on on a much larger scale. Right now, I don't know what you heard. But and I've seen this happen so many times. I've been working in esports forever, but everybody, a lot of industry people were laughing and saying, "There's no way." Specifically with PUBG, there's no way this game can be an esport. Yeah, and I remember thinking, "What are you talking about? <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Why do people do this?" Because I heard this. I've heard this with so many different games. Yep. When I was first starting to do StarCraft II, and I was traveling all over the place. There was this game called League of Legends that was cropping up. Right. It would be played on the stage adjacent to where I'm casting. And I remember back then all these people saying, there's no way yeah. that game is going to take off as an eSport. Right. And I had the same I, – well, I, I saw the same thing happen with Hearthstone. Yeah. And so by the time people were saying it about PUBG, I thought, okay, this means it's definitely going to be a fucking eSport <laughs> because everybody always gets this wrong. Yeah. And frankly, I actually think it's a pretty good eSport to watch. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I like a lot of different games. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's entertaining to watch. I think it's very accessible. I think it's able to – and I'm just, I guess I'm talking more about Battle Royales in general at this point in time. Yeah, of course, yeah. Because um, you could include Fortnite in this. Although, actually, Fortnite has got a – Fortnite's weird, a Fortnite's, little weird. Yeah, do you want to – Well, it's, yeah. it's because of the building aspect. It's yeah. actually, at least for me, and I'm, and I'm sure people who play a lot of Fortnite – yeah. have a different relationship with this and i'm not trying to shit on fortnite at all i actually think the game's quite amazing 
Um, I don't play a lot of it, but it's just not my it's just not my style. Yeah, yeah. But it, but because there's all this building and all these other things going on that I'm not. I can't really follow what the characters are doing as well because things are so chaotic. I mean, you know, PUBG's chaotic and Apex Legends is chaotic, but it's 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 a chaos that is pretty defined, right? It's yeah. pretty it's mostly kind of uh vertical, maybe a little bit horizontal if there's buildings and other static structures, but you can't create these 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 fucking statues of liberties that are like fucking like ten <laughs> ten you know, ten well, stories tall. I mean <laughs> sometimes you'll you look at these highlight clips where they're tearing stuff down and moving through it, or you have a, a situation where like one player's on on the top of the tower, yeah. the other one's on the bottom, and they're trying to yeah get towards each other. Um, I think that's got a bit more of a challenge to it for a, a viewer. Whereas I feel like one advantage that um, PUBG's had, I think over almost all other esports, with the exception of Counter Strike, is it's apparent what's going on. Yeah, people running around with guns. Hiding in gas stations or swimming through the water, <laughs> right, is not a, it's not a complex concept. Yeah, you know, and, and that that's not to say that um, the game itself is not that complex. But let's look at some of these other uh, esports. Yeah, Overwatch, right, very hard, chaotic, very hard to watch unless you you really know what's going on. Yeah, and Blizzard spent a lot of time trying to master the uh, in-game interface. Yeah, and it's or, better. Or, or, or I guess I should say. Uh, the observing, the observing, and yeah, they've yeah. got they've gotten much better. Yes, I mean they're, they're, I think they're handling it very well. But there's a fundamental uh, challenge with that, right? Is that some of these characters you look at, you don't you don't necessarily know who's supposed to do what or what what this might mean, how this combos in. Mobas have had this problem as well. Uh, Mobas, if you play enough of them, you can get really into it, but you have to get over this hurdle, right? You have to be aware of enough of the characters and what they're trying to do and what these regions. Um, if you're on Dota or League, on the one map that they use, what those what those regions on the map mean, yeah, and how these characters scale, and I think that in some ways, but by the way, this is true for StarCraft as well. Although yes. I think StarCraft is is the dial is closer to being a little bit more accessible, yeah, simply because you just have armies running into each other. Yeah, it's it's pretty obvious what's happening in StarCraft. You know, actually, I think with battle royale games like PUBG, um, I remember when I first started casting it, um, you know, my friends back home were pretty excited because this was like my my foray into being a, a professional esports caster was PUBG, and um they were watching me and uh one of my friends uh his family wanted to watch it because i'm really close friends um with his entire family like we've been you know very close growing up and his family put me on their tv and put our broadcast up on the tv actually it was me and you doing it was it. the one we did together, yeah it was right? one we okay. were doing together yeah. yeah and uh it was the the finals for the apl two apl season two and they put it on their tv and they watched it live uh, during uh, their little vacation they were having at their lake house. And uh, the the father of my friend and his sister got super into it. And they just knew. They, they understood what was happening. You know, they showed the map enough on the broadcast that they knew what the teams were doing and where they were moving. They kind of picked their favorite teams, you know, early on. They're like, oh, these teams look really good. Like, I like what they're doing. And and they, they still kind of watch it from time to time. I mean, partially because, you know, they, they want to support me. But also because, like, they were kind of like, wow, this is actually a really interesting thing. And I think, actually, if more people gave Battle Royale games a chance, I think they'd, they'd be surprised how much they enjoy it. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, um, this was maybe a couple weeks ago, but this this Tetris World Finals, did you see this? I watched a little bit of it because you told me about it. It yeah. was – well, you know, I was talking to a lot of other people that I work with, and everybody was saying, oh, my God, everybody I show this to immediately gets into it. 
because Tetris is so simple. It's so simple that you can just. I mean, it is also, it the most basic esport? Is it the most basic esport? And I, when, when, and when you're saying basic, I don't think you're trying to say that it, it doesn't require skill, correct, or, or anything like that. Just right. The accessibility of Tetris. By yeah. the way, there's a Tetris uh, battle royale now. What? Wait, what? You didn't know about no, this? No, I didn't know about this. What? What? No, there's a Tetris battle royale. Clinton's eyes are so big right now. Um, I'm going to get my butt hand. Milton, can you look this up? Show him. I got absolutely So it's like a bunch of Tetris games going on. Yeah. And you can watch other people get eliminated. Oh, my God. Yeah. (gasps) That's crazy. And this is another moment. I want to just watch it. I never want to play it because I'm I'm actually really bad at Tetris. I love Tetris. I mean, I love it, but I'm terrible. Just terrible. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I don't have an ad blocker on there. So you got to you got to watch that ad, Melty. (laughs) 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 We're off to a great start here at uh, the podcast. Is is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So. So we're it's gonna, like we're gonna have to turn the turn the laptop over here. It's like how many how many people play at a time? What the ninety nine people? What the fuck? Yeah, are you serious? Ninety nine so- Tetris players. Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> this is oh, this is like, I thought you knew about this. This is like the craziest version of the Brady Bunch I've ever seen, man. Like, oh my god, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know oh, about this. Little yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can like. Oh my! Because, I got, okay, I actually have to try this. Yeah, yeah, you should check it out. I don't even. It, I don't even. Cool. I know I'll never win, but I actually want to try it. Oh, you should check it out. I, I was playing. Yeah, what's up? It's on the Nintendo it's on Switch. Switch. All right, I'm gonna go steal. Okay. I'm gonna our, go our steal. Our friend Rapids. that has the Switch is out of town. Yeah, I'm gonna we, go steal Rapid Switch. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you should check it out. Um, but yeah, like when um, people were showing because this is like a thing when you work in esports is, you know. You're obviously around people that are kind of don't get esports. Yeah. Uh, you know, because you have to be so into a, a game yeah. to then start to pick it up. But it, obviously, it's a lot of fun when you do. But Tetris is like the easiest thing to pick up. Like, there's plenty of people's non gaming parents that'll just. Oh, yeah. That'll just start to play Tetris. Like, I know. It, it has some kind of attraction to universally to everybody. I have so many friends, parents, like that grew up around our generation, right? That their parents play some version of Tetris or another, like Dr. Mario or something like that. Yeah. And I'm, like, so shocked. And then they're, like, fucking really good at it. Yeah. Like yeah you they're get legitimately there, they're good. Like, they're like, hey, you want to play some Dr. Mario? And I'm like, yeah, I, I kind of know that game. And then they just destroy me. And I'm yeah. like, you're, like, 58 years old and you just <laughs> wrecked me. Like, <laughs> Yeah. No, it's it's an interesting thing with that is that that's kind of the um, – that that it seems to be almost like the universal language in, in gaming on some level, just because it's so, it's such a simple com- concept. Yeah, just trying to destroy lines, um, and not have all those blocks fill up to the top and make you lose. But um, that was something that that I wanted to bring up because I shared that with some family members and some some friends who just are not into gaming at all, and that was what seemed to be out of everything I've shown people. The one that people got right away. Oh, oh yeah. this is really interesting watching two guys compete at Tetris at the same time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's it's a weird thing that it, to think that if you didn't grow up with gaming or didn't like kind of like just kind of embrace it as part of your identity, whatever that might mean. Yeah. Um, that you can't be into esports. I think that's just false. And I think that like perpetuating that stereotype is pretty ridiculous. I know so many people that have been like, oh, I'm not into sports. But then they find like one weird sport, like hockey or rugby or something, and they're watching it and they're like, "Whoa, this is really interesting to me." Yeah, it's esports is funny. I, th- there's obviously this weird thing that we have to occasionally answer. To. I always find I have to do this if I'm being interviewed by a journalist or is is like, "But is it really a sport?" 
And I'm like, what? Well, that's why you put the fucking E in front of it. Yeah. It's 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 gaming. It's yeah. Electronic sports. Right. There's a whole idea. Right. Um, but yeah, you can get people into, um, I think almost anything. In fact, I I really feel like a lot of esports, after you begin to pick them up, I think can be better to watch than a lot of traditional sports. Yeah. Absolutely. You know. I I I mean. I love traditional sports. I'm a huge like baseball fan, especially. That's my yeah. favorite sport. Um, You're I go a Cubs to, guy, right? Yeah, I'm a Cubs guy. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah, I moved here to Korea right as the Cubs were winning the World Series, and those are some those fun days. days. <laughs> those are good days. Um, but uh, you know, like I go to Korean uh baseball games here. The Korean baseball organization is a really fun uh, thing to do. It's really cheap. Um, but but esports, I can almost always just show up and be entertained by it, and it can be. Not every game, but most games. I, I guess it's also that because of the concepts behind some of the games, it's almost more thrill. It's like you're watching an action movie. Yeah. Right? Like if you're watching Counter-Strike, um, when you have one guy with a gun and there's three guys hunting him. Yeah. You know, and the chance that he might be able to kill all three of those guys. Or you have two players from different regions of the world in StarCraft controlling armies yeah. and trying to c- control parts of the map or, or, or trick each other. Um, I, I find that a lot of times that could be more engaging for me yeah, just because of the vehicle in which it's well, yeah, and shown I, in. Yeah, and I think, I mean, the thing is about esports is versus traditional sports is, and, and people can argue this one way or another, I think, is the complexity available to it, right? Like, esports has infinite complexity, right? Just infinite complexity. There, I don't even know. There's crazy stuff that we haven't even thought of, right? The Battle Royale stuff came out of nowhere. There's crazy stuff we haven't even thought of that'll, in the next three, four, who, who knows, will be the next esport, and we just don't see it coming, right? We just have no idea. And that's what makes it super exciting. Because regular sports are pretty solidified. They're not basic. I don't want to say they're simple or anything like that, but it's pretty obvious what's going on because of the nature of what it is like because of the physical limitations of what human beings are you know does yeah, that make sense yeah. whereas video games are just infinite creativity there's there's who knows who knows what there's, people there's come so up much stuff there there's so many concepts you can you can toy with um when you're talking about gaming but uh, now here's here's a question is it better or worse that games can be patched and updated Ooh. and changed so like you can go back and watch older StarCraft, but it's not the same. Well, I'm talking about StarCraft. Too. StarCraft 1 is one of the weird games where they never got Yeah, they, they, they just kind it. of fixed and it. And it. Fortunately, it's still there. People are still figuring things out about it. Yeah. But, you know, different uh, iterations of the game, like Heart of the Swarm to Legacy of the Void. Um, you know, on Dota, they'll constantly move some stats around with the characters to try to keep the game novel. Right. Is, is, that, good or, is, that, is that good or bad for esports? It's both, I guess. Yeah. It's 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 a it's a necessary evil is actually the way I'd describe it. Yeah. Like, yes, obviously sometimes things come out in a game and it's just too powerful, or it's too good. You know, like a gun or a unit or whatever, whatever type of game you're talking about. And it's just too good. It's just too good. Oh yeah. And you know, this this always happens in RTS. Yes. Where there's some unit that Right. You know, I mean, like if you looked at the the Sentry in StarCraft two, like right when it was in beta Essentially, like the attack was just too strong. Yeah, <laughs> so right. you just had these like little, these little uh, snow globe looking guys running around, just shooting up force fields everywhere and just lasering down everything. Yeah. Um, and then as they patched it, they got, they got the unit to the role where it needed to be. I guess the reason why I'm asking about that is that it means that if you play a certain game, 
and it gets and and you take some time off from it. Yeah. And it gets patched in a dramatic way. Yeah. It can make it harder to come back to and watch. That's true. It requires you to be cognizant of what the patch notes are and what that does to the meta. Yeah, I, I you're absolutely I right. I guess this is what casters are for though. R- right, that's that's kind of our job, right? As casters is we have to keep up with these patches and, you know, understand and anticipate how it's going to affect, you know, the game at large. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's weird because I think developers run into this this conundrum where they have to balance a game for esports and for regular people, like people who are just playing the game, you know, normally, right? Because because think about like StarCraft, right? Like the players at the top of the game are so much fucking better than the people that are just kind of like average. Even if you take the top thirty-two of GSL and the yeah. top eight, yeah. Some of the guys at the bottom at the 32 are, like, not close to some of those top eight guys. Right. Like, the, if you put them together, you make them play 10 games, some of those guys will beat the other guy 10 times. Right. And how are you supposed to balance for that, right? Because that's right. that's a really challenging thing. Like, remember when Bjorn was just shitting on everyone with with uh, the, the Reapers, right? Was it Reapers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your Reapers, right? Yeah. And they had to nerf the shit out of it because just no one could find an answer. Yeah, yeah. If Bjorn was a unit, he'd be a Reaper. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I remember watching, um, casting one of his games. I think it was, I think it was in Poland. Sometimes my cast blur together on which tournament I was at. But he like was so good with the Reaper. He managed to make a unit bounce three times off three different grenades. Oh my god! Yeah, it was like it was like you know in Mario where he keeps jumping on the shells and he eventually starts oh. to get extra lives. I'm like, god damn, he's good with this. But yeah, I I guess when you get things patched, you do have the opportunity to then try to make it. Uh, overall a better game if, if the company knows what they're doing yeah but at the same time and this is kind of where i was trying to to, to drive this part of the conversation too sure. is, but then you also have pro gamers who will then lobby for changes that they want yeah i mean i've been to um some of these starcraft summits um which is where they just invite pro gamers and casters and other i guess they call it influencers yeah um and to get opinions on the game and one of the things i really do find funny is watching pro gamers start to talk about what's wrong with their race, I, even if they might be right, because it's like, well, right. yeah, I mean, you play Zerg all day, right? Of course, you feel this way, but that might not mean that you you can appreciate it from, let's say, the Protoss side or the Terran side, right? You know, and I just wonder sometimes if this is a this could be a potential problem: is publishers getting cowed by demands of, let's not even say pro gamers, just the general public, yes. I mean, a lot of times, I look, I I love playing games, okay? I love esports, but some gamers are whiny bitches that actually yeah. just constantly blame the game, okay? <laughs> Anybody who's offended by that, I'm like, you have to be realistic here, okay? Yeah. I have seen, even in person, people constantly just blaming the game. Yes. You know, where it's like, come on, man. Right. You know? Well, and these these developers, are, yeah, they're, they're posed with just difficult situations where, like you said, you've got you've got pro players saying one thing. You've got regular fans saying another. You've got people who don't even play the game who are just fucking trolls being assholes online. Yeah. Just throwing shit in the air. And then you've got, you know, your data and other things that you're tracking as as a developer or balancer, whatever you want to call it, who's looking at all the data from all the games and all these other things, trying to make this game as well balanced as you can for the regular public and for the esports side and all these other things. And that's just um, it's a monumental task, and to be objective um, amongst all that, because you're probably like talking to the pro players, you probably know them because they play your game, 
And, you know, your fan base is very vocal online and that kind of thing. And you have to be able to filter all that out and remain objective. That's a nearly impossible task for any human being. Yeah, it's it's an interesting problem that developers have here with this. Because, like, let's take a game like StarCraft 1, okay? Now, we would not have a game like StarCraft 1 now. We just wouldn't have it. No, never everything, again. StarCraft 1 is a weird game where everything is kind of broken. Yeah. The Reaver, incredibly strong. Vultures, actually almost every unit in the game can get a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, every unit in the game is actually almost overpowered in some way. And this game is, oh, what is it, 21 years old now? Um, so I can buy a beer in America now. <laughs> um, this game had one patch. I believe one, one major patch one major within patch. the first six months. And yeah. I think one of the biggest changes was just they made the spawning pool cost more. Yeah. Because the four pool can end the game too quickly. Too quickly, you yeah. You just ling rush the guy and, and kill him, so they just moved it back a little bit. But I'm trying to imagine a game like that coming out now, and I think it would end up being patched and neutered into a, a, just a basic crappy game. Yeah. Every complaint that people had about StarCraft One within even the first 10 years basically turned out to be moot. Right. <laughs> the longer the game was out. Right. Where I feel like now you could never necessarily have a game that had so many bugs and exploits and yeah. kind of odd features that are hard to overcome. Because people demand that their, I guess their appetite for the game is met. Yeah, sure. It's weird. I know exactly what you mean. And this is something that concerns me when I see, I've seen this a lot with the PUBG community. Like for a long time, the PUBG community was like very toxic and ephemeral about what it wanted. Right. And, and this really drove me kind of crazy. Cause I'm like, no guys, the game at its core is quite good. Obviously we want the crashes early on. You know, there's a lot of crashing issues and that kind of thing fixed of course of course we want the stability of the game to be there once the game was stable it's fantastic it's it's it, it, the gameplay mechanics are you know occasionally we need to make little tweaks to the guns and they're going to be doing that here in a new patch pretty soon um and that's fine that's that's normal but you don't want to have dramatic just like sweeping changes to these games and i you know outside of PUBG and some other games like i kind of wonder like about like for example like league of legends these other games where they keep adding characters like this is a whole like almost in a, uh, it's a balancing aspect in and of itself right adding a new character to a game that's going to affect the balance of the game and these companies feel obligated to just constantly add new characters to their games like league of legends overwatch uh, apex legends is going to have the same thing where that in and, in and of itself is a balance issue adding these new characters but it's a necessary one because it kind of keeps the drive for the game and keeps people spending money on these microtransactions, these other things alive. Do you think microtransactions are, are good or bad for gaming? If, if they're left to a solely cosmetic level, grabbing their pitchforks right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> if it's left to a solely cosmetic level, I'm fine with it. But on that, yeah. but on that page, I very rarely spend money on that. Yeah. That's the thing for me. Like, I, I won't buy like a hat for a character. I no. just don't. I, so, but the thing is, I don't. I don't really care. No. Yeah. If it's there. Yeah. And I mean, here's the truth too. I've spent, guys. I've spent a lot of money on Hearthstone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I've spent a lot of money on that game. And I mean, I didn't feel bad about it, but I feel like that might be a game where I think you have to spend a certain amount of money, unless you're really going to grind and get gold. Right. Like every day. 
I mean, I don't know. I'm a grown up, and I have I have a, just a disposable income, so just I, I don't really care. You know, what am I making my money for if not to right. buy some stuff that I'm going to enjoy? And I like Hearthstone as a game, but I guess there is an issue where if you have to purchase a certain number of microtransactions to actually be competitive, does that become problematic? Right. I I don't know. I I I I I, I kind of have two ideas about the topic. Right. Like on the one hand. I think no, because these companies need to make money, right, to keep their game going. So you can keep. Yeah, I, I, I want to say I really agree with playing this. it because a lot of times people just think like all games should be free and have no microtransactions. It's get like out. You, you guys understand that like go. They need to generate a profit. Go install here. Linux on your computer and fucking yeah, like yeah. No, it's and so I just yeah. I, I want to chime in here just for a second. And say I I do appreciate that like yeah. A company needs to make money, right? And in some ways, giving someone a game for free and giving them the option to spend money that can be. A lot of times, a, a safer transaction for both the person who's purchasing the game and the publisher. Yes, um, of course. Then you know it being the other way around. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, no. You're absolutely right. And 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 then at that stage, it's all about figuring out how to get people to actually spend money on the game, like League of Legends or something like that. I mean, Hearthstone is technically free, right? Technically, yeah. Hearthstone's free. free. Um, you know, but one of the, one of the challenges with it though is like. I mean, dude, you can't play it. I've, you I've, can't play it on a competitive level. I've been legend unless you like, spent like, money. Yeah, I've been legend like several times, and I will tell you, I I spent a good amount of money just to have the right decks. Now, when I had the right decks, I then had to actually use my brain to get sure. there. It wasn't like I wasn't encountering people that just had nothing but the basic cards. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, and I was doing some crazy combo with yes. my cards. But it is interesting that when you get to, let's say, when you get to like around level. Even like level eight in Hearthstone, yeah, you start to see everybody's got the same decks at all. They all probably spent a certain amount of money. Yep. Um, is there any chance that games which require you to spend a certain amount of money to be competitive kind of zone out a certain class of people? Does that make sense? That's exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is is that fair? Is like because like, like what, what, what if I'm a super poor kid? Yeah. In a poor neighborhood. I don't have a computer. Right. I've got a cell phone though. Right. Because I I it's 2019 and I need to have a cell phone to, to be <laughs> a, a functioning yeah, exactly. human. Um, but I can't. My, my my parents are poor, but I'm a genius. Yeah. But I can't get access to this, this thing. I mean, right. one, one of the things I loved about being a someone who was competitive in StarCraft One, um, and going to tournaments, especially when I was working at WCG, was StarCraft One was so old. I mean, StarCraft Two's eight years old. It's eight years old now, right? Yeah. StarCraft One, even when it was ten years old, everybody could run it on their computer. So you started to see all these amazing players kind of coming out of nowhere. Yeah. Places that you just don't think about esports, especially not you know fifteen years ago. Right. Places like Peru, you know, places like Malaysia. Yeah. Um, because you didn't need to have a crazy graphics card to run it. It ran off. Yes. Almost nothing. Yes. Um. And at least that was a tech issue. I'm just wondering with some games, if it becomes competitive and requires a certain number of microtransactions, you are in a way kind of zoning some people out. Yeah, and that sucks. And that's – I don't know that there's a great answer to this question, right, because just they're just poor people, right? They're just countries that are poor, and obviously that's yeah, going that, to I, affect yeah, – That actually is a good point. Yeah. It's going to affect not just the technology they can buy, but then the games and the microtransactions. I mean – PUBG Mobile, the best teams in the world are from Southeast Asia. Like yeah. the Thailand team just won the PUBG Mobile World Final 
Um, I casted them at the the Asia finals, and these teams are so these teams are so fucking good at PUBG Mobile that I could barely tell that they weren't playing regular PUBG except the graphics <laughs> oh, are so way sick. worse. Dude, they're so good. I couldn't believe it. I was just like, you guys are so darn good at this. Like, obviously, turning side to side was a little more. They weren't they weren't able to like you know flick over right. like you can in regular PUBG, but their understanding of like the game, their ability to maneuver properly, and do all these other things and still be very accurate, is good. I mean, there is a little auto aim in it, a little bit. Sure, yeah. But but they're still like playing the game at a level where I'm just like, good lord, these guys are really good at this, and you know now they have this opportunity to compete in esports and they're doing it and they're succeeding. For the first time, right? Thailand is just starting to become this esp- – It's I think in the next couple of years, it's going to be an esports giant. Vietnam oh, I, as well. I, I, I think, I Vietnam think you're probably well. right. Yeah. Southeast Asia's always had a lot of people that were really into gaming, but they just didn't quite have the the right access to – I mean, one of the reasons why South Korea tends to dominate in every esport they do is because they've had the internet, uh, high-speed internet for the longest. Right. And a prolifera- pro- proliferation of esports cafes, or I should say PC cafes. Yeah. Uh, everywhere where you can go and practice and, and train with people. But, yeah, I think we're going to have a lot of emerging regions. You ever hear of a game called Crossfire? Yeah, I know Crossfire. So this is – the people who are listening to this probably have not heard of this, but it's actually one of the biggest games in the world. And it's kind of just like a carbon copy of Counter-Strike. There's yes. a couple of – Point Blank point, is another one. Yeah, Point Blank, yeah. a special force. Sudden and attack. Yeah, and, you know, especially if you talk to people in, in – um, Western Europe or, or North America, first of all, if they know about the game, they can't understand why it's so big. Right. Right? Because if you've played CSGO, why on earth would you go back and play yes. this carbon copy of, of CS 1.6? But <laughs> when you look into it, you start to realize, oh, it's because this game will run on computers in Egypt, in yeah. Indonesia. Right. You know, in parts of Brazil where they, they're actually running on maybe lower equipment. That's not to say that there's not rich people there that have nice gaming PCs right. set up. But you can be, you know, a, a young kid in Jakarta on your parents' old PC, and you can actually play this competitively. Yes. This is the game that you can have access to. Right. And and the PC, the, the PC cafe culture is starting to get bigger in a lot of the world outside of Western countries. Because Western countries, we've kind of grown up with computers like nice computers and other things in our houses if we want them or if we you know so desired so we could have them and that's why you know uh, in that's why like people kind of like are competitive in computer games but that's why South Korea started out being so competitive cuz PC cafes started popping up here you know in the late 90s right well, this is also and they were very popular yeah this is also i think a, a cultural thing as america is sort of oddly designed as a country, yeah. I mean, this is a kind of a, a country that started out where everybody wanted to get a house. Now, if you had only lived in cities your whole life, the idea of having a house where you have your own backyard and, um, you know, your own pool. Right. Americans want to have everything their own. Yeah. Um, which kind of knocks out a lot of communal aspects, I think, culturally. For instance, in Korea, everything is culturally more shared. Yes. So, you know, there's a community sauna that I go to. Like uh, it's a spa, right? Right. Where the cold tub and a hot tub, I can go in there. I don't Walk need that. I don't. I don't need a. Ba- I don't need a, a hot tub in my house. Yeah, right. I go down the street. I have that. Um, you just got to put up with a bunch of naked Korean dudes. Yeah, I got to like put up with <laughs> naked Koreans. I'm, I'm good about. I'm good at that now. Um, <laughs> but you know, I can go to a PC cafe. We can all, um, just share that place instead of having to have a super nice gaming PC in my house. Now I have right. a nice gaming PC. Yeah, but, um. 
I think an American mindset is more one of, well, I want to have this thing here yeah. in my house. Right. You know, I mean, there's rich Americans that will have like a bar built in their house. Oh, like, God. In basement. That's Most not, of my friends do now. Yeah. And it's, and you, I mean, for me, now that I've been living over here for a long time, I'm like, why don't you just go to a bar? <laughs> I know. Well, do you but, really need it in your house? But think about it. Think about it. Think about the, 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 the hurdles you have to go through to go to a bar in America, right? You have to get yeah. your car. You have to have somebody who's sober to drive you home in that car. Yeah. I guess they got Uber now, but actually, no, yeah. your town's small enough. They don't even have Uber, right? No, there's no Uber where I'm from. Yeah. There's, like, there's like more bars than churches in my hometown because I yeah. live in fucking Wisconsin. But yeah. like, like, I, I, You're like, like an hour and, away from where that Fargo movie happened. <laughs> The wood chippers aren't just yeah, there for that's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, um, so it's it, just cheese and serial killers is what's in Wisconsin. <laughs> you guys have a lot of serial killers, right? We have a lot per capita. Yeah. We you like, guys are number one, one right? With serial killers? I don't know if it's the highest, but it's up there. Okay, all right. We're we're up there. <laughs> like there's there's literally a uh, uh, a band that named their album uh, Wisconsin Death Trip because there's so many fucking serial killers. I think it was Static X that did that. Um, but anyway, so so right, you think about these hurdles you have to go through to go to a bar, right? If you're not in like a big city in the United States and and then you have to, you know you have to go out there you have to find a way to get home right you have to put up with drunk American assholes who are oftentimes aggressive and pushy and want to talk to you when you don't want to talk to them and these other things and and then and so why not just have a bar in your home right because yeah, you could just yeah. have your friends come over and they could just stay the night or something well, this, and I think, like we were saying earlier I think this is why you end up with a, a country like that really with really good smash players yeah places where people go to each other's houses because they're a bunch of not to say that like obviously Americans do like to go out and do that too but it, there is a different vibe here like I think the idea of having a, a PC cafe that's really doing well anywhere in the United States it's not an insanely densely populated city is just not it's just not possible realistic yeah you it's know. just not possible. And I and I think a lot of these countries in Asia, uh, you know, are starting to get more PC cafes themselves because they've realized that, well, in in densely like in densely populated locations, we can make these economically viable. Right. Like we can make money on these. You're starting to see these pop up in Thailand. They're getting huge in China and China is getting huge in esports because of it. Yeah. Because there are so many people and it's just crazy. You know what I mean? No, I, I absolutely know what you mean. Are you sure that Alaska has the most serial killers? He's, Alaska is number one. Where is Wisconsin on that list, Melty? What the Not fuck? The top ten? We're notorious for serial killers. Alaska, Nevada, Florida, <laughs> is this like per capita? Per one million people. We only have like yeah. You know, they don't have they killed them like all. They killed million. them all. In yeah, we already <laughs> killed them all. Like, we have like six million Sorry. people. Um, what, what what are we talking about? I. Uh well I started I left off on like the fact that like PC cafes are becoming oh big yeah in China. yeah 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 that's actually another kind of weird thing that can happen with that is I think actually if you're gonna practice a team game competitively you need to be all in the same room yeah I mean that's why you have all these team houses where mobile players practice even for StarCraft you're better off if you're playing in a, in the same room as everybody else but it seems like PC cafes um have unintentionally created an ideal ecosystem for a common person to walk into a place and practice and, and, and play yeah. with other people. Now, that being said, I guess the last few times I've gone to the States, there are, like, esports 
It's like a bar in, 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 in a cafe, in an arcade. They're kind of getting these fusion things. So. Yes, and those are fantastic. And I yeah, love those. Yeah, yeah, those are cool. They I didn't love have going those there. When, I, when I moved to Korea. So yeah, coming yeah. back home and then seeing that, I thought that was really cool. That's great. I mean, that's kind of what esports needs is you need more people who are willing to build you know, these, these places where people can go and meet to share this activity, right? That's why, you know, in, in America, you go to a bar, almost every single bar, it's a TV, or at least one, multiple usually, with sports on all the time. Oh, right? yeah, that was You really, can always just go and watch that sports. That was really weird for me when I get back to the States. Yeah, they and don't I, have I, that I, here. Yeah, they don't, they don't, there's no, or there might be like a TV that's playing a drama that the, the old lady who owns the place oh. is, is watching. Yes. But, yeah, like, it, I actually had a hard time. I was just in San Francisco recently, and I went and met up with one of my um, friends from college who's living there now. And it was like the bar was an ADD machine. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm trying to talk to him, and there's just these TVs going on in the background, and I'm yeah. trying to like look at him in the eyes yes. and have a normal conversation, but there's just something going on. Right. Um, it's 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 actually really fascinating because like, I actually find myself – attracted to the Korean dramas and other things or like their little variety shows that they have on yeah, their TVs yeah. when I'm at like a restaurant or a bar here. Well, usually it's not a bar exactly. It's like a Hoff, right? It's like a food and beer place. I guess also culturally Americans, um, it's it's not it's not abnormal to go to a bar alone. True. In the States. True. I mean, there's it, it, it's, it's a little bit weird, I guess, but yeah. it's not – I mean, you'll see it. You can walk into a bar. There'll be someone sitting there alone watching TV with a beer, whereas um, – especially in Korea, you would never go to a bar alone. Basically, no. You have to be with a group of people. Yes. You, it's, if you show up at a bar in Korea by yourself, people it, look at you weird. And it's also probably a Western bar. Yes. It, it's a Western-style yeah, yeah. bar. It's it considered like, really sad, whereas because um, usually places aren't just for drinking alcohol, right? It's, it's a food place first, and alcohol is just kind of as well yeah, what's going a, it's on It's available. There. And then there's yeah. sports going on. Yeah, I guess functionality, uh, the perceived functionality of it plays a, a pretty big role um, right. in, in that as well. You know, just on that note, this was a big thing that people were wondering about um, is, is, are, is eSports going to be on TV in America? Because one thing about yeah. – um, Well, you know, you, you've been on TV in America. Yeah, I was on on ESPN two. Right, first time that they ever got, got it on ESPN two. There was some esports on ESPN three before, but one of the things that was being discussed at that time was that, like, so many TVs. Let, let's take ESPN specifically in this case, but there's other sports networks as well in the U.S. So many bars have sports on them constantly that it's able to keep these channels alive forever. Right, and there'd be so many more people exposed to esports. Via that, yeah, but it could blow up even bigger in the U.S. Yes, well, I actually think I actually think these bars that are doing this are are ahead of the curve. I mean, it's 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 technology precedes like entertainment, right? So you had the radio could become invented, right? What happened? They started putting baseball games on the radio. They started putting football games on the radio. All these other things, right? So they, they had this invention, and now people can do it. And over time, it became more and more popular. Then TV came out, right? Now you're watching, you know, as the quality of TV got better, you're watching, you know, sports, you're watching football, you're watching hockey, you're watching whatever on TV as well. Now we have the internet and computers. Now we're watching esports on those, and we're seeing it go up, right? We're seeing it go up. Now it should be on TV as well because TV is 
a similar enough platform to a computer in a way because you're just trying to watch a visual thing, right? But for whatever reason in America, it hasn't really gotten super popular. Now, really, the channels that have tried to do esports, the biggest one is ESPN2. Other than that, you used to have those those weird gaming channels that kind of tried remember to do G4? it. Remember G4? Do you yeah, remember I that remember, channel? I remember G4. Oh, yeah. G4 was so fucking weird because it they were, like, really constantly weird. trying to avoid the fact that they were a gaming channel. Yeah. This, this, this has been a long-lasting thing where it's, like, for some reason, and I've seen this because I've worked with so many different production companies, um, There's there for a long time there was a fear of just putting people playing the game on. <laughs> it was like they had to get – they were trying to get around it. Like, it's about games, but, like, not really. Yeah. Really, it's a game show. Just embrace it. Yeah, it, it, and, and it wasn't until Justin TV came out, and then later uh, they rebranded as Twitch, Twitch, that there was just clear evidence. And this was happening right when StarCraft Two came out as well, that, oh, no, people are sitting down and actually just watching someone play a game. Yeah. We don't even have a show a, a kind of around the game. Right. You know, but we don't want to show gameplay. We can just have it out there now. Yeah, and they're so smart to do this. They capitalized on this market that was there. That was it, it's there. It's just you got to find a way to, you know, promote it properly, run it properly, and it will be successful. I mean, it's esports is one of the most viewed things in the world. Yeah, um, it's huge. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, it's um, it's it's so weird. Uh, so many people. If you really want to get triggered, you can go on YouTube and, and type in like people reacting to esports. It's like these like old. Yeah. I don't know, like TV people just like not getting it. Yeah. You know, and it, it's crazy to think that. Like, when I started casting StarCraft and I decided to move to Korea, it seemed so obvious to me that people would want to watch StarCraft. Yes. Because it's just a good game. Right. It's interesting. If, if, if you can pick up on a few things, it becomes inherently interesting. Um, but how many people just thought that would not take off? Right. That, that it, it couldn't be that and it couldn't be this. I mean, there's also been plenty of other obstacles in trying to get esports on, on, whether it's mainstream TV or just getting promoted everywhere because of right. Some of these games, you are running around with a gun shooting people. You know what I mean? Even though there's movies where that happens, that people will get upset. Or you can't show blood or you know, right. whatever it is. I mean, there's this whole problem that uh, a lot of companies have with trying to get their game into China. Like, China has mm. all these weird laws about, like, yep. I don't think you can have skeletons in a Chinese is game. Is that true? I, I, or something like that. Skeletons. skeletons. I mean, I, I kind of believe it because there's all this weird stuff. Like, there's some numbers you can't use in China. Like, what oh, is it, really? seven? Because it means, like, death or something like that? I thought or? that was four. Was it four? I don't remember. It's the same word as, or the same sound as, as death or something like that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the same sound, even though they're different, maybe, like, characters in yeah. the language or something. I don't know for sure. I, I don't know any Chinese. Yeah, I, know, okay. I know, like, I'm like, you're, you're, <laughs> you're, 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 you're in good company here. Um, excuse me, I'm a little bit congested. Um. So, yeah, I mean, there's this whole obstacle to trying to get anything into uh, China because they have all these yeah. rules. This is happening with movies as well, actually. Yes, yes. Is that the Chinese government a lot of times will have to approve, especially if it's an animated film, I believe. Yeah, and I think they it even— has to, It has to promote Chinese values, which yeah. means that because they're such a big share of the market, right? Um, you can— it, It's going to influence the outcome of how the movie actually is. And I think there's a limit to the number of— western or like hollywood made movies that they actually even allowed to be played in china per year i think i read this somewhere 
that there's only so many movies. So all these companies are actually kind of competing with each other to get to be one of those movies that's released in China or something. I know that was – I mean, it was a big deal when World of Warcraft came out in China because it actually did very well there. Right. I mean, the World of Warcraft movie, excuse me. Yes. what I mean. Um, yeah. Uh, how is this podcast going for you? It's great. I feel like we kind of got our got our rhythm down. I felt yeah. a little bit awkward at first because I've, I've discovered – now that we've started this, that I'm only comfortable talking if there's a computer game going on in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> but once I think we got our flow, yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's it's like 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 when you approached me about this idea, I thought, okay, this is good because you and I will just sit down, you know, at a bar or something or in each other's houses yeah. and just talk about stuff about you know, and and I and I think have really interesting conversations. Oh yeah, absolutely, man. And especially when it comes to like gaming and esports and the culture and that kind of thing surrounding it, like we're very we're very in touch with it. We live in the mecca, like you you've coined this term, right? Soul is the mecca of esports. So we we're here at the hub, like of the the beginning of esports, right? This is where it really started. And so you know, I think it's important to talk about these things and share the ideas about it. No, you've, you've actually been an excellent guest. Is there something you want me to ask you? Or is there anything that you that you can ask me anything you want, baby. But is there anything that you want me to ask you or that I haven't <laughs> asked already? Oh, there no, actually I do have some questions for you. So yeah, I want to yeah. talk about like like I, I'm pretty kind of new to this whole casting thing, right? And I and I'm yeah. kind of like an anomaly. Like I started when I was thirty two years old. Right. I didn't right. I'm not doing this out the gate. You've been doing this for a long we, time. We got you over at Africa TV. Yep. When um we were surprised by how many days PUBG gave Africa TV. Yeah. Because they wanted uh Artosis and me to do it. And we were basically encumbered with too many StarCraft casts. Yeah. And so and the other thing was is like Artosis hadn't played PUBG. Um everybody else was 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 playing. Right. You know, you know and into it. Um and I just said I couldn't do all the days. Right. But I also I, – Dan can't do it anyway, so we got a problem. Um, but I knew that you were the best PUBG player out of all my friends. Yeah. And you've, you've got a background um, you know, in public speaking as yeah. well as the fact that you just know the game. Right. Uh, and so we, we, we got you. And you actually – you turned out to do quite a good job. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I love doing it. It's a lot of fun. But, like – I want to I want to talk to you where I was kind of leading with this was yeah. um like doing the big events where there's a big live crowd. You know what I mean? Yeah. versus like a smaller type situation where you're just in a booth, you know, casting an esport. Like I think people might not realize what what I mean it might seem obvious what's different, but there might be things that aren't obvious that's different. So there's yeah, there's a lot to that. Like there's a lot of different ways you can end up doing a live broadcast. Right. So one can be where you're off site. <laughs> you're yes. in you're in a room. You're not there live. Yeah. But you have a live feed and you're covering it. And that's most of my experience. Yeah. And that's and that's that's a weird one. Right. Because it is live. It is supposed to feel like you're there, but you're just physically not. Yeah. Um, there's even been events globally where like there's an event happening, let's say in China, but it's like the broadcasters are in Romania or yes, Ukraine or something like that. Um, yeah, uh, but it's it's a uh, it, th that's a weird one because it feels it doesn't you're, you're clearly not there live, but you're trying to capture a certain vibe. Then there's ones where you can be live at the venue, but your voice is not going out to the venue. Yeah. Um, 
Yep, that's that's been our experience with the the PUBG finals we've done here. Yeah, and then there's ones where you're actually your voice is going out into an auditorium. Yeah, and I feel like they all three have very very different feels. They're and so different. require, I think, almost different types of casting. To be yeah. honest, you know, I've never had the pleasure of doing uh, a live broadcast where I'm my voice is going out to the auditorium or the arena. I haven't had. I that think it's, yet. it's all of us in Korea. Yeah, they're, 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 that all of our voices are going out to the stream. I feel like that creates a different kind of vibe. So, like, if people watch GSL, Dan and me are able to kind of joke around in a different way. Oh, yeah. Than if our voices were just going out inside. Oh, that's a really good point. Studio. Does I actually hadn't thought about that. There's yeah. kind of more of like, uh, you know, that show Mystery Science Theater Hour. Three thousand. Oh, I love that the, show. The show yeah. that, that was so fucking uh, so, funny. So funny, especially the old ones. Oh my god. Um, you can kind of have more fun with that. Now you can. That's not to say you can't be funny or mess around with a live audience, but it requires a different vibe, right? Um. But yeah, I mean, I think I cast best if I am. In a live venue, and it's not going out to the audience. If if you watch, like, um, ah, so the middle of like the three tiers, but that but that's where I'm just most comfortable. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I felt like I had to learn how to do it in front of a big live audience. But then I feel like I'm trying to, I'm trying to create a different atmosphere. Like if you watch the, um, IEM, not the most recent one, but the the IEM Katowice finals the last last, year. last two. Yeah. Um, like Ty versus stats. If people want to look it up. You can immediately see that Danim, you're trying to go for a different feel. A, it's the final, so we're trying to go hype. Right. You know, but there's way more shouting. There's way more uh, screaming and, yep. and, and hyping. Right. Because you're trying to get an audience to um, react and get hype. Feel the moment. Yes. Yeah. And then um, when I'm doing, let's say, like GSL Code S, I'm talking to somebody who's probably at their computer. Yeah. They're in their house. Right. Where I think that requires something different. Now, you can come to the studio and get headsets and put that in, but I still feel like it's the same kind of experience as being at a It's basically the same. in your ears, just yeah. like I would talk in your headset at phone. Yeah. At, at, phone, at home, excuse me. Um, and so, yeah, I think it requires different approaches. I think there's also the – there are different types of public speaking, right? Yes. So – yeah, because you and I both have backgrounds in like competitive public speaking. Yeah, 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 I did. I did competitive debate. Right, I did forensics. Yeah, yeah. and I don't know. You know, there's different things you got. There's different challenges. Yeah, uh, in both. What about what about like for example, like when you have a really like special moment, like you had Cyril win BlizzCon. Like what's what's going through your mind during that? Like what are you what are you thinking about? The Cyril victory at BlizzCon was was weird because it was almost like a religious experience. You know, the wow. fact that a – first of all, I came to Korea a long time ago, and a lot of people were telling me I'm a fucking idiot for – you know, b before I got oh, to the show. Oh, they still tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people were saying, like, why would you go to Korea and try to start a show? You know, um, this no one's going to want to watch StarCraft. Right. Nobody – I kept hearing this. Nobody watches StarCraft. I hear this with PUBG. And I keep, I keep saying, well, you haven't given me – the ability to show you that people will watch this yes. or people will follow this. Yes. It's like a chicken and the egg thing where it's like Koreans put it on TV and then they're deciding that only Koreans watch it where they haven't put any English commentary on it. Um, Cause there's nothing super special about Korea or Koreans that would make them only like this game. Correct. And so on that, how is this? 
on that note, like, uh, I'm sorry, wait, wait, what, what was the question? Oh, yeah, right, Cyril. Cyril, Cyril, so Cyril. For me to actually have this moment where it's a non-Korean beating a Korean in the world finals, and it is entirely packed yeah. with people mostly from America. Thousands watching of thousands, this. It was yeah. just incredibly validating yeah. feeling. A, that non-Koreans can learn this game well enough to beat the best Korean and that also clearly all those people were wrong. Yeah. But there was definitely a moment where, and I don't normally have this almost ever anymore with public speaking because mm. I just do this so much. Yeah. Where I was caught off guard by the size of the audience. It was so mm. packed. It's hard to explain how big this convention hall was, but it was so packed they couldn't let more people in. Right. Without it was like tons of people standing in the back. But it was, it was, it's the largest audience I've ever seen watching physically. And I almost had that moment where it was like an out-of-body experience where I thought, because I, I was mostly looking at the screen, right? But occasionally I look up, and I start to see, okay, it's getting more and more packed as the finals go on. Um, that moment where I thought, oh, my God, my voice is going out. Yeah. So th there was that weird moment yeah. where I thought, whoa, this is so many people. Clearly this is important. Yeah. This is actually history being made. But also, oh, my God, that's a lot of people. I think that's the most people I've ever casted in front of. Um, so as, as a broadcaster, there was that element. Mm. But then I think also just kind of having this Cinderella story come true. I mean, last year was the best year for StarCraft II. Yeah. Minus, I mean, when the game gets launched. It's, whenever right. a game gets launched, it's supposed to be the best time. But if you're yeah. talking about a game that's older, uh, the viewership was really good. And frankly, I think it was a narrative that we needed. You know, it's it's incredible that enough people will just watch a tournament with only Koreans play. Right, they'll still get a, a a global following. So to have that happen, that was that was great. Yeah, I mean, I remember even going and watching uh, GSL versus the world uh, here in Korea. Yeah, you know, I went down there and I I was a little late coming to it uh, for the last day, but I got there to watch uh, uh, Stats versus Serral at the end, and it was. Even though there was only like three rows of us foreigners there, like, th like this was such an emotional moment for people. Yeah. Like I was obviously just I was I mean my I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it, man. My hair yeah. is like standing <laughs> up right now, thinking about experiencing that moment live, and then on top of that, seeing some of these other foreigners. I mean, I just like StarCraft. I love to watch it. I've been watching Brood War since you and you know you and Dan have been doing it forever. Go on Golem TV and everything, and and I just. I was so blown away with some of the emotion that was coming out of these other foreigners who are very involved in StarCraft II, um, you know, that were at this event, that came here just to watch this event. And, the, I mean, some of these people had tears in their eyes. And that's how much it means to people. And I think, obviously, if you, if you kind of like esports, you kind of understand it. But until you can have that emotional connection to it, I think people aren't really getting what it is. Like outside of, you know, the normal, e you know, esports fandom, like pe I think people realize with regular sports that it's important and emotional because it's just been there and had that thing. Yeah. But now we're starting to get these moments in esports that are so rare and unique and amazing, like miraculous. I, I think it also stems from once you start to understand how hard these games are. Yeah. Then you start to realize how hard these players had to work to get this. Yeah. You try to teach me StarCraft One, man. Fuck. <laughs> Good God. I mean, it's fun as hell. Well, no, I think I think everybody who plays StarCraft One thinks that. The yeah. games too. 
it's insane. But, uh, but playing PUBG, even I play PUBG, yeah. and I like to think I'm okay. You know, I'm not I'm not a god at it or anything like that. I'm good. I get wins. Right. But it's so fucking hard. Every time I get a win, I'm pumped because it's so hard. And I think, yes, there has to be a certain appreciation of that. And I think as time goes on, as je- like you know, people start teaching their children that yeah, this thing is really hard. Like being good at a regular sport is really hard. Like I, I was a competitive swimmer in a, in like uh, middle school and high school and stuff, right? Yeah, I got like seventh place in state in the hundred meter butterfly. Woo woo. He was, he was Codas in the state. I was a Codas in the yes. state of, of Wisconsin. Yeah, it was <laughs> didn't really matter. But it kept him but, from killing everybody. In but the then state. I'd watch fucking Michael Phelps, who was a couple years younger than me. He's yeah. coming. I remember this. He's coming up behind me. And, not, you know, he's obviously swimming over in uh, Massachusetts or Maryland or wherever he's from. And I was hearing about him when he was friggin' like, 13. People yeah. like, this guy's the best. This guy's the next. And I just, like – and I'm, like, I'm like 14 or 15 at the time. And his his 100-meter butterflies times are just blowing mine out of the water. Yeah. And I'm, like, fuck me. This is – I am just busting my ass. I'm swimming, like, four hours a day, five days a week, plus meets on the weekends. And this guy's just destroying I, – I, I, my God, this is so impressive. Yeah, it's 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 cool when you can when you can appreciate something because you you can see how hard it is, right? Because you've tried to do it. I think that's uh, I think that combo. Uh, let's take Starcraft. It, it helps that there's history there too. Yes, I mean it's it's cool when an esport comes out. And I know everybody's like you know still remembers Idra and all these you know new top tier players. But part of what made Starcraft two so cool is it was already backed by about twelve years of Starcraft one history. Right. So all these famous players are coming on board. Was it going to be the new guys? Was it going to be the old guys? Who's going to catch on right away? Who's going to figure it out? And um, I think that's a necessary thing as well. But, yeah, absolutely being able to see the challenge inside the game can allow you to appreciate it and connect with that player. Yeah, esports just needs time to grow. We're we're in – you know, I compare where esports is now to, like, baseball in, like, the 1920s or 30s where there's, like – some people who know who Babe Ruth is, you know right. what I mean, right? They they've heard this name, right? You've seen the Sandlot, the movie The Sandlot, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's this one kid who comes to this new town with all these baseball junkies, right? And and they're like they're like they're like, do you know the Sultan of SWAT? And he's like, what? And they're like using all these nicknames they have for Babe Ruth, and he just has yeah. no idea. And th- these kids are just fucking blown away, right? They're just fucking blown yeah. away. And today it'd be like you know you don't know who Flash is. Yeah, you know, and, and if you come to a group of people who like video games, you're like, oh, cool, this is fun. You're yeah. like esports. You don't know Flash. You don't know Flash. You raise in a barn. You don't know Faker. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> oh man, <clears throat> sorry. No, you're fine. One second. So, this is where we're at, right? We're 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 the kids in the Sandlot, right? We're these kids yeah. playing playing video games, you know, and and it's just starting to happen. And in the next ten to fifteen years. The narratives will be built as long as the games kind of stay steady like StarCraft has. Right. I always feel like with StarCraft, this is a very important game. Even if you don't care about StarCraft at all, you should be rooting for it. Yes. Because these games are not supposed to go away. Yes. Um, I don't know. It, I don't understand people who are like, yeah, I don't really like StarCraft anymore. I'm like, how the fuck not? Yeah, that's like when people say they don't like Street Fighter. I'm like, really? You don't? Yeah. You don't? like it right at all that's yeah so, so weird but e- even then the, the point i'm trying to make is that you should be rooting for it because if that game can go away or can't be supported that means everything has the potential to go away and not yes. be supported yes um and as much as people i think people don't meme about it as much now 
the dead game meme is sort of permeated to every other game. Every game. Every game that is not the most popular game uh, is dead, according yes. to people that like to meme on the internet. Um, but really, StarCraft's actually doing quite well, both one and two. One bigger in Korea, uh, as far as viewership goes. Two bigger outside of Korea, as right. far as viewership goes. And actually, people don't know this, but the, the, the number of people playing is roughly the same for both. Yes. Um, but you should be rooting for that, because if, if that game can go away, then... Any game can go away. Yeah. Because StarCraft, specifically with StarCraft 1 in this case, that's like the oldest, still very active esport. Yeah. Even if its player base is largely uh, South Koreans. Because that's the only thing I'm very, that I'm curious about how this is going to unfold, right? Is can one game just continue to propel itself into the future? Yeah. Or are we supposed to be rotating to new game after new game? Yeah. After new game, right? You know, um, Counter-Strike and StarCraft, I think, have both proven a degree of immortality, at least for now. I mean, both these games are a little bit over 20 years old, so maybe immortality is too much of a dramatic word for me to use here. <laughs> but they certainly have some staying power. Yeah. Maybe the games need a facelift, like StarCraft Remastered. Sure. Or, you know, CSGO, it's essentially like a new game, but it's the same concept. It's, yeah. I, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, still, it's still dust, too. Again, yeah, I you know? think if you just kind of keep, yeah, updating the graphics and putting a new face on it, making it look nice, I think a lot of these games have staying power for a really long time. I mean, Dota 2 is is been around for a long time now. Right. I don't know the exact release date. I wasn't that big into Dota. Um, but that still has one of the largest, if still not the largest, prize pool. For esports in the I know, world, I th I think and it's, it's the not largest. the most—it's not the most watched, but it has extremely passionate fans. Yeah, what is the most watched now? Do we know? It—it's—I think it's still League of Legends. Is it? I think so. I actually am just not sure. Yeah, can you, can you check for us, Mel? I know that the the world finals for League of Legends are just out of control. Yeah, yeah. Like they get more they get more viewers than just about they, anything. They, well, this is one of the weird things when people talk about numbers, right? Is like if you look at the international for Dota, it's like okay, well everybody's watching this, but um, is is Dota getting consistent viewership? Like yeah. you take something like StarCraft or League of Legends, which uh, there's a lot of parallels. Uh, loyal fan base constantly. Uh, tuning in, a large number of people will consistently tune in for every tournament. Yes, you know, um, the league's gonna be around for a while. I well, I know it's had a slight decline. Yeah, but it, that's that's pretty much sorry. What CS:GO? CS:GO? No, that CSGO. makes sense. That, that makes sense. sense. Yeah, I can believe it. CS:GO is fucking awesome. So oh, I love that game. Man. It's so good. Yeah, I grew up playing, going to land parties and playing StarCraft and and Counter Strike. And Counter Strike. Yeah. I, I, I missed out on the, oh, wait, the original CS days. Okay, yeah, uh, this is what I was talking about. So that's consistent. Okay, so League peak. wins on peak viewership. Okay, that makes sense. But that's also kind of a weird situation, right, where it's like, well, everybody's going to tune into this thing. Yeah. That might not be representative. Yeah. Okay, so CSGO, then the biggest. Interesting. Yeah, well, those League World Finals get so many viewers, it's just it's unreal. It's crazy, man. It's unreal. It's crazy. And this is where I'm like, all right, look, esports – is here to stay. It's it's gotten too big. M Melty, the, the audio is okay, right? There's been no problem. Yeah, it's all, right. all good. I, I need to take a break. I gotta pee. Uh, wh tell you why, why don't we why don't we wrap it up? You want to wrap it Does up? How long good? have we been talking? I don't even. How know. How long have we been talking, Melty? One hour Oh, okay. If you want to wrap it up, let's wrap it up this time. I'll, I'll bring okay. it back on. Okay. First of all, thank you so much for yeah. coming on to the podcast. No, thank you. Um, this is my first time doing something like this. I think 
the second half of it, I felt much more comfortable. Yeah. We just had to get the conversation going. And I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not actually – it's really funny because as a caster, I'm used to sitting next to someone and we're staring at the same thing and yeah. talking about that. But instead, we're sitting across from each other with the same kind of mics and, and headsets. Trying to bounce our ideas Trying off to bounce each ideas other. off yeah. each other. Um, but I thought this, this podcast was really cool, and I, I'd love to have you back on. This was really fun. Do you have any um, – you want to plug your Twitter or any sure. shows you're doing? I'll plug myself, Yeah. Um, you can follow me. Uh, my gamer name is Paper Thin. So on Twitter, I'm at Paper Thin here, all one word. Uh, if you can't spell Paper Thin, then go back to school. Um, <laughs> uh, I have an Instagram, same thing. I barely use it though, but you're welcome to check it out. I'm, I'm trying to I'm stay on social to, media. I, I know. I I, I I I don't like social media a lot. It's um, like you have to, especially in esports, you have to have a Twitter account. I have. I I mostly talk about esports on my Twitter. Mm. I don't talk about much else. Um, what else is going on? Uh, I've been, uh, doing a, uh, PUBG Korea League recap show on my Twitch account. Um, my Twitch account is a little different. It's P4P3RTH1N. So it's paper thin with numbers instead of vowels because back in the day when I made my Twitch account five, five or six years ago, <laughs> I, I, the name paper thin was already taken and that's what I chose. Mistakes were made. Shut up, Melty. Yeah, Mel Melty. <laughs> Melty, that's enough. I, I, I didn't know he could change his account name. I actually should do that. I should change it to paper. Yeah, thing here. yeah. Well, for now, if you for want, now. if you want to get him added there, follow me on Twitter, and then you can find it from there. That's, my that's my Twitch thing. is in my bio, and I post links to my my broadcast. Uh, so talk about the PUBG Korea League. What do you have coming up here? Yeah, so uh, I am uh, officially doing the PUBG uh, Face It Global Summit in London. Uh, starting uh, April 16th until April 21st, I believe, or 22nd. I can't remember exactly, but uh, it's the uh, one of the three, uh, they're calling them like major or summit PUBG events uh, that they're doing. Well, there's actually four, but there's like two that aren't for every region. But anyway, um, so this is the biggest international event for PUBG until the global finals. Congratulations, man. Yeah, thank you. I man. look forward to seeing you there. I'm so excited. Okay, good. Well, I think awesome. we did it. Uh, yeah. I guess we'll end this segment of the show. Uh, thank you for joining me, and uh, I'll My have pleasure. you back on again soon, dude. Awesome, dude. And this I'll be is better. great. I'll be, I'll be even better next time. I believe it. All right. All right, buddy. That does it for the first episode of the Tasis Podcast. Do check out Paper Thin at the Face It PUBG Global Summit in London from April 16th to the 21st. His Twitter is Paper Thin here. This podcast has been produced by Melty. Artwork by Alarise. Soundtrack by Mark Lentz. Please be sure to give us a like, a good review, subscribe, or most of all, support us on Patreon. Thank you so much for joining us for episode one of the Tastes Podcast. I love you. I'll see you for episode two.